to MLVC, the Madonna podcast, your place for all things Madonna Louise, Veronica Ciccone. Hey, everybody. I'm living to tell it's Liberty. And hey, everybody. This is Stefan. Thanks for joining us for another episode of MLVC. Today on the show, we are joined by actor, poet, musician, Cindy Dawson, who back in 1987 had the opportunity to be Madonna's stand-in on the Who's That Girl movie. We're going to get all down to the the nitty-gritty of that movie in a little bit, but we just want to welcome Cindy to the show. Hello, Cindy. Welcome. How's everything going, Cindy? Everything's going really, really well. Um, as, As somebody in the arts, I feel that we're coming out of that you know, we're, we're starting to come out of the post-COVID phase where you're starting to be able to do what you do and, yeah. and experience it like in person again. So I'm feeling great. I really That's am. That's awesome. And I like your Christmas lights and, or not, not <laughs> what, decorative lights. We, it's, we're not in Christmas season, but I like your yeah. decorative lights that, that you've got. There, I'm actually too. at Henry, my guitar player Henry's house because as I've explained to you, I am technically inept. So <laughs> that's his little touch. He believes that Christmas lights should be up all year round. Yeah, they add a nice ambiance. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, before we get down to some questions, Liberty, would you do the honor of giving Cindy's bio to our audience? With pleasure. So Cindy Dawson is a musician, spoken word artist, poet, and actor. She's worked in TV and film as a performance artist, and as we mentioned, worked as the stand-in for Madonna in the Who's That Girl movie. Her poetry has been published in anthologies and publications. She also leads a band appropriately titled The Sins. This is a full throttle rock band formed around the songwriting talents of both Cindy, the uh, lead vocals for the band, and Henry Seitz. Seitz. Size, okay. Uh, the band's guitarist and other vocalists as well. And the band has been called the closest thing to 1970s CBGBs that you will get from a band that formed in 2011. So welcome, Cindy. Thank you for having me. A hefty resume. I can't wait to ask some questions about not only who's that girl, but your career in general. But Let's dive back in time to the year of 1987 and talk a little bit about Who's That Girl? Uh, Oddly enough, that movie is turning 35 this August, which is unbelievable to think about. But yet, all of us have just remained as youthful as the day it happened. I mean, That's right. Only the movie got older. Yeah, there you go. So (laughs) how did you get involved in Who's That Girl? How did that find you? Um, it was pretty crazy because I was an actress at the time, um, and a dancer. And so I was always looking for things that I could do in, in either. I was in the union. So, I mean, I had agents and things like that. Um, and I remember coming home and the phone rang and this is before cell phones when, you know, you had to go in person to make calls. And I (laughs) had done some rounds that day. I don't remember I mean, when you made rounds, you used to take your picture and resume and just go to like a hundred offices in one day and just hand them out or slide them under the door. So I don't really remember who it was that had seen me 
But I got a call and they said, oh, we need you on set, you know, tomorrow at a certain time. It was very early in the morning. And this was already maybe seven or eight o'clock at night. And they said, uh, I said, oh, what is the film? And they, at the time, I think it was called Glamour. Yeah. It wasn't Who's That Girl? It was renamed no. later. And so I hadn't heard about it. I didn't recognize the name. And then I said, oh, who's starring in it? And they said, well, we'd like you to be the stand-in for Madonna. Now, at that time, Madonna was not only just huge in general. That's when she was, like, just lifting off like a rocket ship at that point. Yeah. But um, I was really involved in the New York club scene. So I, she was a huge person to run into or see or whatever at Danceteria, which is where my boyfriend at the time and I always hung out. And we knew Jelly Bean Benitez. I think she was dating him at one point. Um, and so it, it just was one of these things where I just went, whoa, right. this, is, this is big. <laughs> but I was really scared. I'll be honest with you. I, I did not know what to expect or what a stand-in job entailed. I had never done stand-in mm. work before. So it's a good next, gig, though. It's, it's not a bad gig. It was a great gig because if you were in SAG at the time, well, even still to this day, you had to make a certain amount of hours and earn a certain amount of money to get your health benefits. And I really needed them at the time. So mm-hmm. this was going to be not just a one day extra part or, right. you know, one day, you know, a day player part with maybe a line if you were lucky. This was going to be a job for the summer. Mm-hmm. And I, I was relieved about that part of it. But also, I, you know, I was thinking like, well, I have to give up my bartending job. I hope they let me hold my job <laughs> because w- once a job is over, you're back to being unemployed again as an actress. Right. And luckily, the place that I work, they said, no problem. We'll hold your job for you. Oh, yeah, nice. Great. So tell us a little bit about, so you you show up on set. What, what was your experience like when you were uh, doing the movie? Was So it was, how long was the shoot for that you had to participate? I worked all summer. So uh and even a little bit, I think a little bit into the fall as well. And um, I remember showing up on the set that day thinking, what am I getting myself into? You know, because first of all, she was so big at the time that, you know, you were expecting massive crowds to be around just in right. general. And um, so they put me in hair and makeup. And uh, I, go, I guess I would go into her trailer uh, first, they'd get me ready first because I would come on and have all the shots set up using me. Right. And, so, well, so I'm going to interrupt you just for a second. Let's for people who might not know what exactly does is the role of a stand-in. That's a good question because people think I was a body double, which I right. wasn't. Right. You weren't um, like a stunt double doing pratfalls. No, no, and- no. Uh, so a stand-in is somebody who is similar in build. You know, similar. Not, I didn't look like her in the face, but our bodies were kind of similar. And so they would dress me up like her and do the hair and makeup like her. And then use me to set up, you know, when people film a scene, they have to send, set up tracks. So the camera rolls on tracks like a train, mm-hmm. you know, so that it smoothly moves about the set. So what you see is a flow. You know, you don't realize the camera's actually on a set of tracks and is moving mm-hmm. with, with the action. And so this way I would do like I would have to uh, watch them rehearse when she was doing this rehearsing a scene with Griffin Dunn or whoever she was in a scene with. And I'd have to observe that, keep a, a very, very close eye on their movements. And then they would set up the, the scene with me and, and Griffin Dunn or whoever else was there, their standing. 
and we didn't have to say lines necessarily. Sometimes we did, but you know, mostly it was just the physicality of, of the scene and how they were going to get the lighting and everything set so mm-hmm. they could just come in and film. She could also do what she had to do in the morning, which was she'd get up very early in the morning and have a trainer work her out. Mm-hmm. And of course she was on an incredibly strict, you know, diet regimen. She was the most disciplined person I had ever in my life witnessed. So disciplined and, and the most fit person I've ever seen in my life. She was so fit. There wasn't an ounce of fat on her. She was solid muscle. <laughs> right. And being a dancer, I was like, oh, like I was so jealous. You know, I wanted like to be, you know, thinner, more muscular, but she had that. She definitely had that. So I could come in, say, 6.30 in the morning and set up, set, uh, set up the scenes with the camera crew and the director. And then they, she could come maybe two hours later to the set and it's all ready mm-hmm. for her to go. Right. Okay. And what did you have interactions with Madonna? Were you ever like chatting with her or was it sort of like you would pass each other as you're leaving the set and she's coming on the set and you would just sort of wave? Uh, no. <laughs> so I apparently was not the first stand in. I, I think there was a few that they had gone through that just couldn't hack it. They couldn't deal with it. She's not there to make friends. Right. You know, and I understood that. I mean, I think I'd had enough experience at that point in the business to understand that you go on a set and you're professional and you do what you have to do. Yeah. Um, I did not speak to her. Um, she was aware that I was there. I, I remember seeing a video one time for a song um, years later and her stand in was the one who was on camera and they said, Oh, do you become friends with your stands? And she said, she said, I don't become close at all to anybody on the set other than my Mm co-stars. So I think I got that. And I think that's why I lasted. I went there. I didn't expect to become her best friend. I went there and just did the job that I had to do. I really needed the money and I needed the health benefits. And, you know, uh, I think one time she whispered, I heard her whisper in Griffin Dunn's ear, is that my stand-in? Because no. <laughs> I guess I was the third one. But I didn't mind it. I mean, you know, this was, I, my job was to, when they called, there's team one, which is her and Griffin. There's team two, which was myself and Griffin standing. And time is money. Money is time on a set. When they yeah. call team two, boom, you go. You're mm-hmm. always ready to go. They don't have time to wait for you to to be aware of the fact that you were just called. Mm-hmm. So. I just did my job as good as I could do it. You don't go on a set thinking you're going to suddenly be like with the in crowd and you're going to be right. hanging out, drinking and dancing after work with the stars. You right. don't. You just you're 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 basically crew. You're like crew on the set, mm-hmm. except that I had to work, you know, right near uh, her every day because I had to watch everything she did. And so let's say you're, you had, you know, the professional mindset. Are there any, I mean, any funny memories that you have or anything like, uh, I want to know about Murray, the cat. (laughs) I want to know. Murray (laughs) was the best. So the person I got the closest to on the set was his trainer. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, It's funny. I kept journals all my life and I have journals from those days. And I literally just recently was going through them to try to spark some memories. Mm -hmm. And they had, they had a place out in California where they trained these animals. And I remember he invited me over there. I never got there uh, because then I started working in some other films, but he was so beautiful and I got Mm -hmm. to feed him sometimes. But what they told me is that they can be trained, but they will never be tame 
And so mm-hmm. what they would do is, and it, and it wasn't cruel because I'm a big animal person. So yes. it wasn't cruel. But they we've, would, all seen, we've all seen Tiger King. We know. Yes. So <laughs> they didn't feed Murray. I mean, he was fed, but just they did not feed him during shooting so mm-hmm. that he would be hungry. And then he would perform according to like getting a treat. Right. You know, this way, every time he did what he was supposed to do, he knew he would get something to eat. And that's really how it worked. But, uh, you know, I had deep respect for this animal as a wild animal. Right. But I was really blessed to be able to to have gotten close to the trainer and, and, and he let me get close to the, to this beautiful animal because I got to pet him. But right. with him standing there, never you'd never go up to him without the trainer there. If my memory serves me correctly, I think they used two. Okay. They may have used two. Now, I, I may be wrong, but I, I, my recollection, I seem to remember that there was two, just in case one was sick or... Talk about the production. And so, like, because it was... You were filming on the streets. You were filming on a soundstage. Was it all filming in New York? Were you filming in New York and L.A.? No, she had. they had a different set of stand-ins on the West Coast. And I believe those scenes were already shot or they went there after maybe I, it, 35 years ago. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but, but I was the New York, I was the East coast stand in for that film. And I'll tell you a very funny story. Our, we shot in front of the Trump towers. We shot in Harlem and this is the old Harlem, not the newly yeah. renovated Harlem. Right. Um, well, two things that are very, very funny. Uh, one is that we shot on the roof of a burnt out tenement, which were big, in Harlem at the time, you know, people would just burn the buildings out. You know, a lot of mm. these buildings were crack houses or, and they were just burnt out tenements. So we were shooting on a very high, high rise and the roof was soft from having, I guess, had fires put out. And I had to sign a release with the city of New York that if I should fall through the roof, oh, they no. are not responsible for my death. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And I, you know, I was young, very young. And of course I'm like, yeah, of course I'm going to sign it. What, they, <laughs> what am I going to do? Not sign it. And they'll send me home and then I don't have a job. Right. So, um, so yeah. So I figured if Madonna was going to walk on that roof, I could do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, the other thing was we, we had a break every so often there'd be a break where, you know, you'd got like maybe 40 minutes to go get something to eat if you wanted or whatever. And we were in Harlem and these children, were standing around for hours just waiting to see Madonna. This was yeah. the biggest oh, thing that had dude. ever happened in their lives. You know, there's a Madonna's filming filming a movie in their neighborhood, and they were so excited. And here I am in the wig. I think I had uh, I, I I had on a skirt. I had on a skirt and something else that was like the same outfit that she that she wore. And I decided to go to a bodega, not even thinking that they'll think I'm Madonna. Cause I don't, in the face, I really didn't look like her. And so I, but they would do the makeup with the dark eyebrows and all that. So I guess from a distance, maybe I did, but I re, I remember going into a bodega and coming out and just walking down the street and a mob starts chasing me. Oh, Madonna, no. Madonna. Oh, like, and I turned around, looked back and I have to tell you, I got a taste of what she must've been going through because you literally felt frightened for your life. All you could do is just like, I just ran back to the set. But I mean, there's no privacy at that level of fame. There's, you you can't even walk into a store and just buy soda. Yeah. A mob knowing who you are. I mean, the world knows who you are. Yeah, that's kind of been wild. I mean, and I mean, we, we, I remember that 
there was like an opening for who's that girl in the middle of Times Square, right? When the movie opened. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the biggest events, I think, for her career first, but also that in Times Square, right? Some of us knew of Madonna long before, you know, she hit fame. I mean, she was, I think she, there was, there's a building called the Music Building where a lot of mm-hmm. people yeah. uh, used to, you know, practice and rehearse and had rehearsal rooms. I had a lot of friends that remember her sleeping there or saying, can I borrow your rehearsal space to sleep tonight? So she was, the thing about her was she was unafraid. She had a a goal in mind and I'll give her her due. Um, You know, she had a, a vision, a dream. She was going after it. Nothing was going to stop it. There, mm-hmm. there was nothing that was going to get in her way. I can tell you that. And, uh, you know, people will say, oh, well, you know, uh, she used this person or she, no, she, whoever she was as, as the person is one thing when you're in a career that is extremely hard to break into, it's extremely hard to get your music heard. I give her all the credit in the world for just, yeah. you know, plowing through, you know, it, look where she is today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You and don't do a, that unless you've got balls and she had balls. Yeah. And in a time without internet as well. I mean, this is yes. like pre, yeah. pre, uh, you know, viral, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, she had to really like trench her way through it, which I, I don't think I would have been so strong. I would have probably been like, mm, I can't handle Well, this. I can tell you <laughs> that I, you know, in, in terms of even my acting career, I definitely, there were things that I was not willing to, to put up with or people that to work mm-hmm. with or sure. things like that. And I mean, the truth is, is acting in New York in the eighties. I don't know about the the West coast. It, it is what it is. It was what it was. I'm not so sure it's changed that much, <laughs> but if you want to make it in, uh, in, in the arts, you better have tough skin because mm-hmm. you won't, if you don't, you just won't. And she, and she did. And I, and I think that that isn't something to put her down about. I think that's a positive that she was able, she was able to forge her career on her own terms in a world where, you know, everybody wants to eat you alive Mm -hmm. and she survived. I was just going to say, that's what I always admired most. I think about her specifically is just that, um, you know, her tenacity. Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do too. I think that's the thing that I admired the most as well. So, Cindy, when you were on set, I'm curious, what did you think of Who's That Girl, the movie? Did you did you have to watch some of the scenes? Did you? Were you oh, I you watched watching... everything. I was one that likes to sit and watch and learn and observe. Mm-hmm. I tried to watch as much as I as I could. Um, and what what were your thoughts on set versus? I assume you saw the final. Oh yeah, movie. yeah. What 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 did you think? What did like when you were watching it versus what the end up final product was? I'll be honest with you, the yes. voice was killing me. <laughs> that voice that she used for Nikki was yeah. killing me. I was like, how is this going to work out? Because she didn't go out of character. So you know, it was just like coming from New Jersey. I grew up with that voice, <laughs> so it was just so annoying. But like, I could see that when I saw the film. She had to. And I mean, because that was the character. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that ended up being something I got more when I saw the film. Mm. And but it was hard because they don't film in sequence. Nothing is in like, you know, order of how it actually is in time. Yeah. So, I mean, they film wherever they have like, you know, a, I guess a permit to 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 film. 
for that week or, or whatever. Um, I didn't really understand the storyline until I saw the movie because oh. everything was so done in such choppy ways. You know, people think that when you film a, 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 a film that you start from the beginning and, you know, you, you don't. Sometimes you'll film the end first. Right. Mm-hmm. And then go back to the middle and then you'll Yeah, film. it depends on like what locations are available. Exactly. People's schedules, you know, like if this actor is only available at this time, they're, you know, they, they squeeze them in here. and Yeah. I do remember being at the Trump Towers, though, and just it was my first time ever being inside the Trump Tower and almost nauseated by the glitz of it. It was so, <laughs> so extra. <laughs> it yeah. was so gold. It was so overdone. And and the people that were coming down that long escalator that, that you see when you go inside the lobby, I'm just, I mean, I was so poor in those days. And for me, I would go to, you know, the cheapest store in the world. I go to Woolworths to get a pocketbook. Right. And these people were coming down these escalators, just dripping in jewels and their, their, you know, uh, $5,000 pocketbooks. And I just remember being really turned off by the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it didn't, it didn't make me feel you know, uh, like, wow. I was more like, God, like, I just want to eat lunch. And you got this like $5,000 pocketbook. <laughs> but I, I mean, little did we know 19, you know, what was it? 86, 87. Little did we know that Trump was going to run for president one day. Oh right? my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should have seen that one coming right with all that. Like it's probably better. We did in your face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you, ever see Madonna after who's that girl? Did you, I don't know if yes. you ever crossed paths with her. Oh, you did. Yes. So uh, did, did, my boyfriend did. at the time and I used to, we, we loved uh, foreign films and we used to go to this place called the quad in the city uh-huh. all the time. Yep. And you remember that place. I yeah, love yeah. that place. They had the best. Is it still there? I think it's still did, I oh, it closed. I think it closed. I could be wrong, but I don't remember seeing it in years, but, uh, I, and also there was the Angelica, but this was yes. at this was at the quad, and we were walking out of the film after it ended, and she was with Sean. Oh, and nice! Uh, so this probably was just a matter of maybe months after shooting ended, and she was in front of me, and I said to my boyfriend, I said, "Look, look, there's there's Madonna," and she turned around and she she smiled, and then I she whispered in Sean's ear. Of course, I heard it. She goes, that was my stand-in for Who's That Girl? Oh, that's so like, cute. Oh, that's cute. I thought that was cute. You know, that at least she, nice remembered. she remembered. She remembered Yeah, me. exactly. <laughs> well, oh, I guess after cute. a couple of months on set, she remembers your face, so at least. Well, I was always standing there, but she never looked at, she wouldn't look at me. I think she sort of insulated herself to the scene and nothing sure. else going on around her. That's probably, yeah. you know, why. You know, I never took it as, oh, she was being mean to me. I didn't understand it, you know, I, because on film, on film sets, everybody's always so friendly and, and, you know, pooling around in between takes and things like that. But um, th- I was there in a, in a different capacity than as a role. This was mm-hmm. just basically, you know, I was, it's almost like uh, if you're in a studio and you're like the echo, <laughs> I was her echo. I just did whatever she did. Yeah. And it could have been a protection method as well you know she doesn't want to extend herself to to people that she doesn't really know too well. so many psychophants you know yeah. around you when you're at that level of fame you yeah. know i didn't try to be like i didn't try to talk to her i didn't even try to talk to her i would smile if she looked at me or you know uh the rare times that she did 
Um, but I didn't try to have a conversation. I didn't try to get close. I kind of just got that that was what was that, you know, I didn't want to be seen as this person that was trying to like latch on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was interested. She would have had a conversation with me. Yeah. And I'm, it's possible she, you know, she just respected that you were able to sort of keep your distance, let yeah. her work like that. I think so, because I'm the only stand in that lasted for the film. So she <laughs> right. must have, she must have respected the fact that I kept like, you know, a, a, at least a psychological distance. And then, you know, because you did that, you, when you saw her after the movie, she whispered to Sean, there's my stand in, as opposed to had you been, a crazy person on the set, she would have been like, there's that psycho stand-in. So yeah, it, right. Like, it yeah, was I a mean, better situation. It is. Respect in the business is a big thing because, um, you know, New York especially is a really small world, especially like, you know, uh, if you're filming Law & Order, for example. I mean, everybody that's an actor was on Law & Order in New York. Right. And you'd see some of the same people again and again. Mm-hmm. And you just wanted to make sure that, like, you, you always acted professionally, Right. Yeah, and 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 so that your name was never. Uh, we don't want to hire her. She was a problem on yeah. set. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to be, you know, have a bad reputation. <laughs> right. Well, and so did this. Hopefully, or if if that was what you kind of liked, did that lead to you seeking or pursuing acting um, or music directly after? Who's that girl? Or I was an actress uh, years before I ever, uh, not years and years, but uh, you know, several years before I ever, it was what I always wanted to do. So before I ever was called to work on this, that set, mm-hmm. I had already done lots of TV and film. Okay. Um, but I, I did lots of stuff after that as well. But um, I gave it up when I became pregnant with my daughter, mm. um, who is now 26, because you can't, I mean, they, the, you could be called at nine o'clock at night for a 5.30 a.m. call. Right. Oh. And I couldn't see living that lifestyle with a, with, a, with a baby. And I didn't have family around to help or anything like that. So um, I always knew I could go back into performing when she had gotten a little bit older. And when she was 12, that's exactly what I did. So I got back into doing, you know, uh, poetry and per- with a band. Um, I wasn't singing at the time. I was doing poetry. Mm-hmm. And and then I when I Henry, whose house I'm at now, uh, we're really old friends. And I ran into him and he said, well, why don't you just sing instead of speaking your words? And I never consider myself a singer, but I we thought this will be a fun project. Let's just do it to grow and have fun as, you know, as artists. And I never expected it to, to go where it did, but um, or to last as long as it has. But I think once you're a performer, you always have that in you. You have to, if you're a born performer, you have to perform. Mm -hmm. It's, but I think working with her taught me that uh, you have to be a disciplined person in order to get anywhere. Mm Because I think watching her, I had never seen anybody more determined in my life, not just with acting or her music, but just the way that she was with her body was so unbelievably disciplined and it made me realize that even as a dancer if I if I wanted to even take that further I really really had to like you know bunker down and Mm -hmm. take it seriously so she did affect me in that sense I think it did give me a boost to my my ability to focus and and um and be disciplined about things so she she inspired you a little bit she did she did absolutely I think she inspired a whole generation yeah of girls. Yeah. Hi, me. 
Yeah. <laughs> Whether they understood what they were feeling inspired about or what she was inspiring them to do. But, you know, it's, I think sometimes just her persona alone, you know, just yeah. the, the celebrity of her. Sometimes it's like people, it resonates with people. One of the things I did want to talk about, um, and this is kind of a good segue for that. Uh, she's still very inspirational and her speech on ageism really mm. affected me. Madonna and I had our girls at the same time. So, you know, we oh, both had our nice. daughters really within the same year. And so we both kind of went through this motherhood at the same time and finding where we fit in with our careers at the same time. Although hers never really stopped. Mine, mine did. So I, and now also, you know, we're both older and trying to you know, uh, feel our place in how we are as older artists. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I deeply respect was that speech that she had given at some award show about ageism. And mm -hmm. you hear a lot of people online, some of the comments online are so mean about, you know, oh, you know, you had your time, give it up. Nobody says that of male artists. Nobody sure. says that of male musicians or performers. Yep. They're seasoned and so they're more respected as they age. And I think it's, you know, I don't care if you don't like how she looks today or if you don't like uh, the fact that, you know, uh, her look changes all the time and, and whatever she's doing now, she determines her path. She determines sure. where she wants to take her art or how she wants to look. It's not our face. It's her face. Right. And mm -hmm. so I think that what we need to stop doing in this country, because it really is an American thing. Yes. is stop saying that at a certain point we shouldn't be human anymore. We shouldn't be human beings that are living and breathing and have a life and have a career. We're living longer. It, to live to 100 is nothing anymore. And as women, we shouldn't be told when to hang it up. I hate that expression, hang it up. Yeah. We'll hang it up when we choose to hang it up. And if you don't want to listen to our music, if you don't want to watch us perform, if you're not interested in what we're doing on social media, don't look, don't listen. Right. Mm -hmm. So I still think she's an inspiration in the sense that she is influencing a generation of women that are now in their fifties, sixties, forties, whatever saying, look, you don't ever have to stop doing what you love, you know? Yeah. And, and, and if someone doesn't like it too bad. Yeah. And especially, you know, given the, the pop world is very cruel to people who are over 25. Yes. You yes, know, you're right. Um, the rock world is a little bit more accepting, I think, of, you know, all oh, ages. No, no, they're not. No? Oh. I'm, in the, I'm, in, I'm in the rock world. So and, tell, um, tell us a little bit about that because you, you, you formed your band with someone that you knew for a long time. And um, he's like, you know, he says, start, you know, just start singing. And you didn't consider yourself a singer. So you're like, yeah, cool. Or, you know, trepidatious about it. Or, you know, did you, did you already have, um, songs or let's say lyrics that were ready to go that you thought, Oh, this could easily transpose into a song, even though it's a poem. Uh, I was a performance artist 
that right. uh, it, I, I worked with the very well-known artist, Renee um, Ayat, I am the best artist in Soho. If you lived in Soho through the 80s and 70s, you you, you would absolutely know who he is. Um, obviously, you haven't because you're, you're <laughs> much younger. But um, he was extremely, he, he was the one who influenced Best Squat and Keith Haring and Stephen Sprouse mm. and people like that. And so we would do these performance arts uh, where it would be my 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 poetry, and then we'd create these crazy great sets. And then he would dress me as I recited them um, in one of what he called his nudismos, which were these kind of weird woven with no set pattern garments that would take on, they were called nudismo because they're living sculptures. Mm. And they would take on the shape of the model's body. And... They, you couldn't see anything. I mean, everything where you're supposed to be covered was covered. Um, I had like a mermaid one. We did this this little film called The Sea Serpent's Daughter that I wrote. And I came out reciting it in this sort of like this mermaid nudismo. But his whole point of them was that censorship is useless because even though you couldn't see any of my body parts, people would be more aghast looking at that because that holes. And, mm. and it was like macrame almost with holes here and there. Mm-hmm than they would a bikini and it had more material than a bikini because the, the, um, because it took on the shape of my body. And mm-hmm. so censorship is in the mind of the viewer. Yeah. So it makes no sense to censor something cause I could be completely covered up and you would still see my body parts if your right. mind wanted to. So he was a, he was a very big deal with the fight against censorship back in those days. And I was doing that. And then, um, I started when my daughter was 12, I started a poetry and music series where we would have, you know, uh, I would work with a band and almost Patti Smith kind of like. Yes. And, and, um, and then I ran into Henry and he wanted me, he wanted to work with me on the poetry pieces, but then we gradually sort of just started shifting to singing because he encouraged that for me. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I knew, we were doing all these shows in New York and and then we're like, hey, let's record. And then we were recording. We now have four albums. Um, we get pretty decent radio play now. And I mean, I never did anything with that goal in mind. It kind of organically happened. Hmm. Um, and we're still, we just, we just recorded our new single. That's going to be released any day now. It, it's, it's amazing to just go through life without listening to what other people say you should or shouldn't do. And just follow your own path. And I have to say, probably that came as a result with working and watching Madonna. Maybe I always had a little bit of it in me, but she certainly influenced me that way. That's really inspiring. Good. I'm glad that you're young. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's funny because it doesn't stop at my generation. I was the generation that was her audience. I was the generation that were the people that were buying, you know, her music and, and um, saw her for the first time ever on MTV, which I'll never forget. And... Um, and it was before I ever worked with her. I remember mm-hmm. this woman came on MTV and it was like a virgin. Mm-hmm. No, no, yep. I'm sorry. It was Lucky Star. And she was dressed like the way I've seen people dressed at Danceteria. And mm-hmm. I'm like, who is this woman? You know, I mean, I'd heard of her at Danceteria, but I'd never actually seen her. I'm like, but this is how we dress at that club. Like, you don't <laughs> see this on MTV. And, but she did it so much better than anybody else. She looks so much cooler than anybody else dressing like that. And so I remember watching to see who it was, and they said, Madonna. I'm like, oh, I heard of her, because I'd heard of her in the club. And they, mm. probably, they probably played some of her tapes at sure. the club, but I, I didn't put it together. 
But I thought, oh, this is going to be, she's going to be huge. Because there was yeah. just something different about her. Yeah, you just knew. You felt it. You knew it. It was a confidence she had with the camera, too. Mm-hmm. She looked right in that camera, and she was like, this is me, folks. Remember me. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's worked pretty well for her. Yeah. But you're for a younger generation. And it's amazing to me when I see that, you know, um, like her or not, she's influencing a whole other generation. Even today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even today. So how does it feel, you know, now we're kind of post, uh, or let's just say we are in an, in like a rebirth of, you know, getting to perform live and things are kind of starting to move back in the live performance uh, is becoming accessible to us all again. Yeah. How's it feel? How's it feel? I mean, you've been away from the stage for a little bit and have you gotten We never to be really live? were away because oh, um, we did live streams in clubs oh, in New York. Okay. Uh, we, we did a few from a club called Bowery Electric, which is, um, it's a pretty. Like, yeah. The Bowery I've heard of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even all the way uh, down here in Texas, I've heard about it. <laughs> yeah. Bowery Electric is owned by um, Jesse Mallon, who's a fabulous musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, and he tours all the time. You know, the funny thing is New York was so hit so badly. It was mm-hmm. just, I, I'll never forget it as long as I live. It, it was the most frightening. People don't realize how frightening it was in that city when COVID hit. Um, there was nothing but like ambulances constantly. Um, you know, we lost, a, a, we, the, first, the first week that we, I was aware of COVID, um, I had done a show with um, this guy, Alan Merrill. We went on before him, so we didn't share a mic. Alan wrote, I love rock and roll. Joan oh. Jett did not write that song, but Alan Merrill wrote that song. And he had been a big, huge star uh, in Japan. He had his own TV show and everything. And so Alan and, and my band had done a show together on March 6th. And then I was supposed to have a big birthday bash uh, show in New York the following week, which I canceled. Not because there was a lot of people in New York with COVID at the time, just because I, I had this weird gut feeling like, ah, something's mm-hmm. not right. I don't want to take a chance. And I canceled the show. And unfortunately, the people who did a show at the same club the next day, just about everybody had gotten COVID that night from sharing oh, the mic. Geez. And Alan died. Uh, no. So it was, it was up close and personal for us yeah. in the city. And so when things started to get a little bit better, people started coming back out to the clubs again. You know, I'm very, I'm very physical on stage. I'm very active. Uh, and, and that's why I like live performances because they're almost like this shamanic experience where the audience is giving you energy and you're giving them energy. And it, you don't get that on a live stream um, no. with rock and roll, especially. Yeah. But I think, I think it'll be, we'll be back to normal one day. Um, I just don't think we're a hundred percent there yet. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Patty Smith a moment ago. Um, and I read, uh, in, on, it was an article I found through pod pose in 2014 that your musical influences late seventies and early, um, eighties, like, uh, CBGB's era rock, you know, stooges, distillers. Uh, and I was interested or curious to know what kind of inspiration you pull from bands like those in your performances. Uh, so tell me about like in your performance, you know, with the sins in your, in your songwriting, how that kind of inspiration speaks to through your performance. Well, first of all, I had a sister who was eight years older than me and I was listening to things like, you know, the Dave, David Cassidy and the Jackson five, which I still think the Jackson five were fabulous. And 
Um, my sister used to be embarrassed when her friends came over and she said, my little sister's not listening to this stuff. So she made me listen to, <laughs> she made me listen to a lot of really great albums that were like her time, you know, like T-Rex, the Stooges, um, the who, mm -hmm. uh, Oh, I could go on and on. They were just uh, Genya Raven, who is one of the now one of the DJs on Little Stevens Underground Garage. There were just so many great albums that she turned me on to that, as a little kid, seven years old, really influenced me as I was growing up. But I worked in a rock club back in the eighties, and so we had all these these bands that would come in and play national acts and stuff like that, and. So I, uh, one of the bands, and I actually just saw Lenny the other night in Hoboken for a book signing, but Lenny K had the Lenny K connection mm -hmm. at that point. And he came in and played, and he introduced me to Ivan Crowell, who, as a young girl of, of, of 11, 12, whatever, I was madly in love with Ivan Crowell, Crowell from the back of Patti Smith's Horses album. Yeah. But I ended up being friends with, uh, with, with members of her band, or, or friendly, if I wasn't. Ivan was probably my one of my closer friends, and and so I really got into Patti Smith, mm -hmm. and I loved the fact that she did poetry with a band. Yeah. And I always thought, isn't that brilliant? Because I can't sing, so I could still front a band. I just won't be singing. Mm -hmm. And that, and I thought that that was like the coolest invention ever was to do poetry with a band, and then I started doing that. Um, I still wouldn't say that you could call me a singer. I'm a rock and roll singer, which is a little different. And I'll always maintain that I am not really necessarily a singer. Like I'm not a Celine Dion or, right. Or, you know, well, who is, I mean, other Celine. Than Celine Dion, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, I love the fact that you can get on stage. You can just purge. You could just let your yayas out in yeah. a way that if you did that <laughs> in your everyday life, they'd put you away, you know? And it, it was a, for me, it was always a way of getting out anger and other things that I had from, you know, when I was growing up and stuff, just things that happened to me that I wanted to express it, but there was no safe place for me to express it. But when you're on stage, you can let any side of yourself come out. Yeah. And so that, that was just like a way for me to scream or a way for me to you know, fall to the floor and you're like, ah, and, and it just felt so good. It still feels good to do it. I'm not as angry as I used to be. Um, I'm, I'm you, well, because you've worked it out over the years, you know, right. it's I've almost worked it like out. I've worked it this, out. And I, and the I've stage also, performance I've, has been your therapy. It it's was my therapy. Artist. Absolutely. And I think it is for a lot of artists. I think, I think being on stage is a way for you to have that. I'm not going to say an alter ego because they're all parts of yourself, but that person that you can't be, when you have to be polite. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially this kind of draws back to thinking about how women have it in the business or how women, um, are definitely not, um, at that level, at the same level of, let's say men, they don't have, they have to work harder or as, you know, as hard or harder than men do. What are some of those challenges you think women face when it comes to rock and roll music or even just in, you know, as an artist these days, what, what are the specific challenges we have? If you're an established female front woman like Cindy Lauper, Joan Jett, uh, Madonna, um, and even they get it. Uh, Deborah Harry really comes to mind because I mean, 
I think that, yeah, from Blondie, mm-hmm. uh, she, you know, she's still as talented as she's ever been, but she's also older. And I think that, uh, you know, what happens if you're established, you don't get it as hard as say somebody like me, who is, I became an established front woman of a rock and roll band well past when most women would. Mm-hmm. And so that was a real challenge for me. I put up with a lot of talk that um, I'd heard that got back to me until I said, you know what, I'm going to be so good that they're not going to be able to say I shouldn't be up there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, I can only do me. So I don't try to get up there and try to be as good as this one or as good as that one. I just get up and I do as, as authentic and genuine uh, a performance as I can as me. And if I could be real up there, then maybe people get that. Yeah. And then and then they'll be like, wow, that was really good. And as it and I'm not bragging, but when we get off stage, people come up to us and like, that was so unbelievable because yeah. it's the energy. It's the energy yeah. they feel and they feel like the, the realness of the moments. Yeah. And if, if you can give that to people, then you could win them over. But boy, do you, as a woman, mm. boy, do you have to win people over? It's it's unbelievable. You either have to be like um you know, a singer songwriter with a guitar mm-hmm. and they'll accept that more, but to be physical the way that I am and to be screaming it out sometimes, uh, that's a tough one to sell when you are not 25 years old. Right. Yeah. But at this point in my life, I'm not going to be an icon. I'm not going to be, you know, uh, world famous and, you know, and having crowds run and do what they did to Madonna. So I don't have that, that fantasy that I'm going to, you know, be like that. So I don't have to be that overly concerned with what people think of me. Yeah. You know, we just, and, and also we're an indie band. We produce and, and uh, put out our, our stuff ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to worry about a record company signing us where we have our own label that we created. So or adhering can- to a record company's demands, you know, like, I'm sorry, we don't want you to put that single out right now. We don't think that's appropriate. We yes. don't think you're going to get radio airplay for that, or that's not a good look for you. You know, you are playing by your own rules. You know, you can perform when you want to perform. You can perform how you want to perform. Mm -hmm. And there is a certain satisfaction with that. And also, you know, yeah, fine. Maybe the the level of money that Madonna has would be great to have. But the sacrifices, you know, she can't just walk down the street by herself, go for a a walk along the river if she wants a quiet quiet afternoon, you know. Like, her life is irrevocably different and changed. And it's, I'm sure those sacrifices are worth it for what she's been privy to in her life. But, you know, being an indie artist, there's other privileges that come along with that as well. Absolutely. And it's all the above what you said. I mean, nobody is telling us what to do. We tell ourselves what to do. And I really like that. It's one of the good things about um, the internet today. If you're an artist is if you're savvy enough to know what to do with your stuff, you'll get it heard you'll get seen, you know, you just have to, you just have to know how to use the tools that you currently have. Well, so I want to know, you had mentioned that you have a new single coming out. Tell us about, uh, your upcoming projects. So you've got a a new song coming out. What's what's that about? It's funny because I mean, as rock and roll as we are, um, our new single is kind of poppy and it's cute. And it's the first time we've done something like that. And I really like it. Uh, but the, 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 that's an original song. We don't, we are an all original band and we really don't do covers. In fact, I think in the 12 years we've been together, we did one cover other than our own songs. But, um, 
There's a band who's been a favorite of mine for as long as I have been a young adult up, and that's the Smithereens. Uh-huh. And they played a lot at the club I worked at. I've always loved that band. And their songs are so perfect. And their lead singer who passed away, um, Pat Denunzio, Pat did every song perfectly. So I always wanted to do this one song of theirs and cover it. But it's like, how can you take a smithereen song that's so perfect and cover it? It would be like just you could never do it as well as them. But then I, I, I asked one of the guys, Jim Babject, uh, one of the guys in that band, I said, you know, what, what if I did it like with a female voice? Because mm. then you can't really compare it to Pat. I mean, Pat mm. is did it his way, and and I'll do it like with my female voice. And I could, when he said, yeah, do it, you, you should do it. And I, I was so happy. And then when we went into the recording studio to record it, I thought, what have I gotten myself into? I was never <laughs> so frightened in my life to do a project. But then once the band put the music together, um, and they, they did it so beautifully, Henry used the like an acoustic 12 string, which was just kind of like set the tone for the whole thing. And and then I and then I did the song and I thought it came out really good. So we're going to be releasing that track and our original track. And hopefully we'll see what happens. I hope I hope they get some airplay and and get heard and uh, we'll see. So I know I had um, I had mentioned to you when we were setting up the interview, I had asked you if you had ever done a Madonna cover song and you had said no, because you're a rock star and you don't do pop songs. No, I didn't say I was a rock star. <laughs> I said we were, I am certainly not a star and I know that. You know, one of the things that I just won't do is another female that did something brilliantly and and or at least in the sense that it was iconically done. Mm-hmm. It will forever be in your brain as the way she did it. The reason if the two songs I've covered all both had male singers, because then I can do it my way as a female singer and it, they won't compare too much. Right. Um, Madonna's so iconic. I don't think I would want to take on, and I know it's been done that band wet leg who I love. They're so weird. I don't know if you know the band wet leg, but they are, they're my like new favorite band right now. They're so bizarre and so off the wall, and yet they're genius. They covered one of Madonna's songs. I just can't remember which one. Oh, I'll have to check it out. Um, but they're a great band. You have to check out Wet Leg. Okay. But they were – see, they're at a level where they could do it because she's so different. Mm-hmm. But I think that I would be afraid to take on a, a Madonna song. I think I'd destroy it. Well, I, I would encourage you to – to do a Madonna song. I think you would be perfect to cover off one of the Who's That Girl soundtrack songs. So either Who's That Girl, Causing a Commotion, or The Look of Love. I think if you put a rock spin on those, you could totally tear it up, and it would be so appropriate because you've been in the movie. You know, you were part of the movie. I happen to love True Blue. Um, That, I remember sitting in the makeup trailer, having my hair and makeup done, and the person who was doing my hair and makeup was playing that in the background. And she said, this is the new album and they're launching it today. She said, it's going to be crazy on set today. I think we were on Riverside Drive then. We might have been on filming on Riverside Drive. And it was crazy. When I mm. got outside the trailer, I couldn't believe the crowds of people around. And every once in a while, somebody famous would come on the set, you know, because they wanted to watch what was going on or, or whatever. But that album to me, maybe partly because I was, that was my experience going on at the time, mm-hmm. but I love the videos for, that were made out of those songs. Yeah. Um, open your heart, that little boy. 
I love her look in the suit with the little bowler hat. Yeah. The little dance they did at the end when they, when they danced away. Um, I just, I just thought that that that's probably one of my, my favorite of her albums. Yeah. Well, and it was the most commercially successful one too. So was it, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that. I also loved Ray of Light because uh, I love to dance. And that's like a <laughs> song that I would absolutely, if I had a couple drinks in me, I'd be on the floor. <laughs> I would definitely be on the floor dancing to that. That's sort of psychedelic, but at the same time, it's got a great backbeat to it. Sure. Well, speaking of favorites, I think it's time for that part of the show. A little thing we call <laughs> the lightning round. So the lightning round is just meant to be off the top of your head, quick answers wherever you're at in your quote-unquote Madonna journey as uh, today. Favorite Madonna song? Don't tell me. Good good call, good call. Uh, favorite Madonna music video? Open your heart. Uh, have you? I, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to see any Madonna videos of her on tour. Have you ever seen any Madonna? I always tours? would try to check out videos from her tours because of the dancing. Because yes. I, you know, I love to see which dancers that that she would pick, and 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 um, she always had great dancers. Yes. So I loved amazing. watching them on tour with her. So I, I definitely did check out her tours. Okay. Uh, so do you, would you have a favorite Madonna tour? Uh, God, they were all. Good when it came to the dancing and everything. Um, probably the one where she did express herself in Vogue, like the blonde, blonde ambition with the yeah, 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 definitely, yeah, yeah that one. Uh, well, this might be an easy one for you. Favorite Madonna movie? Desperately seeking Susan. Surprisingly, uh, see, I, I, I thought you were going to say who's that girl? <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I didn't not like the movie. It was cute, and I had that experience with it, so I kind of ruined it for me because technically I knew how everything was done. True. There was no yeah. magic for me to watch yes. certain it, things. It, it, the experience. I, yeah, I actually knew how they filmed it. Right. Um, but <laughs> Desperately Seeking Susan was just so cool. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it was just so, like, to me it was so New York at the time. It was my New York at the time, and I was young too. Right. So it was like, you know, that's our New York. That's I was going to um, – uh, I think it was HB Studios at the time when that video uh-huh. came out. So that was like my friends and I in the clubs. It, it just brought it all. It was just like, yeah, that's what we do. Sure. And then everybody wanted to, you know, dry their pits out on the the, the hand dryers <laughs> after that. Yeah. Uh, favorite Madonna look, and this can be from a, a movie, a tour, a music video. I have two. Okay. I absolutely loved her again in Open Your Heart with that suit and that hat. And it was just mm-hmm. big on her, but she has the cutest body, so it looks so great on her. But um, don't tell me the way she was just, you know, and in, in simple. And her hair was beautiful, like simple. Her face wasn't all made up, and she looked beautiful. Mm-hmm. I loved the dancing. I think, I think she just, it's like one look was trendy, and one look was just so simplified. Yeah. So I like the contrast of those two looks. Nice. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. This has been fantastic. I loved hearing your stories. And thank you for taking us back to 1987 and helping us relive a little bit of that. Thank you for taking me back to 1987. (laughs) Please. Uh, Tell everyone where they can find you online and on social. How can we listen to you? Okay, so the name of the band is, let's see if I can put the, the Sins, C-Y-N-Z. I don't know if you can see that. Yep. C-Y-N-Z, like zebra. 
It's my name, Cindy, with Henry Size's Z from his last name, Size. And we are everywhere music is sold. Um, we're on Reverb Nation. You can listen to our music. Um, if you do a Google search for The Sins, that's usually what comes up first. We're on Facebook. Um, we're everywhere. You it, Just Google it. I hate saying that. That's so tacky. <laughs> but it's the easiest way to find our music, and you can listen sure. to it. Great. And we'll tag you when we post about the, the interview. So Okay. Um, and remember, everybody, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MLVC Podcast. Uh, you can donate to the podcast on Venmo at MLVC Podcast or think about becoming a subscriber, patron.podbean.com forward slash MLVC Podcast. Cindy, thanks again for talking to us. This was great. Thank you. I had fun. Everybody, we will talk to you again soon. 